to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, and the last time the message was titled, The Heart of a Disciple. Uh, We also talked about the heart of a follower, same thing, follower of Christ, what do we do, Um, how do we follow the Lord, right, is we, we want to be followers, not fickle, we want to be committed Christians and not convenient Christians, right, so check that out if you didn't get it, pretty neat stuff, and this morning the message is titled, The 70 Are Sent Out, The 70 Are Sent Out, so you know, some people have gone to a church maybe for many years and they maybe come to a Bible teaching church and they're like, wow, the 70. It is unique to Luke's gospel. Luke, I, I think he's one of my favorite books in the New Testament for various reasons. But Luke gives a picture of something that takes place that the other gospel writers didn't add. Okay, uh, Luke is very meticulous, very detailed. Um, he, he just... You know, even John 21 tells us that if everything that Jesus did was written, all the books of the world couldn't contain what was going on. So the gospel writers had to be selective. However, this 70 being sent out is very, it is unique to Luke's gospel. We're going to see it in seven pithy parts. And, you know, I'm not going to be repetitive because we went through a chapter 9, we went through the 12, and, and there was some similarities as he sent the 12 out. So there's some similarities here. I'm just going to kind of, if you think I'm glossing over it, it's because we covered it more extensively in the last chapter. But even more important, because who are these people, right? We don't know their names. Uh, we don't know where they're from. But they were committed followers. Um, and I, and I, I really see the application because when we read the Bible and we learn the Bible, we should say, gee, well, how does this apply to my life? So we're really going to hit that in these seven pithy parts. And uh, I think it's just important for us to see that, you know, today you you hear the expression, the A-team, right? If you're in your place of work or whatever, sadly enough, even some churches, the A-team, oh, these are the people, right? They're the important ones. Uh, And then the (laughs) B-team. And again, that that is something that does not fit in at all in God's economy. If you're willing, if you say, Lord, I want to be a committed follower, he will find the place for you. We will find the place for you to serve. Uh, so the world sees the A team and the B team, uh, but not when we go to the scriptures. So that's where the hope comes in for us. And people do that. They come to a church, they, they read the Bible, and they say, I don't know. They kind of get down on themselves, and they say, well, well, where can I fit in? Well, you can fit in, because you know, when you become a believer, when you're born again of the Spirit of God, you, you are endowed with spiritual gifts. And the Lord would like us to take those spiritual gifts and use them to further the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to jump in in Luke 10, starting with verse 1. And it says, after these things, right, after we cover chapter 9, uh, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So they went ahead of him. Verse 2, then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
So one out of seven is the workers are sent to harvest. The 70 others also. Verse 2, he says the harvest is great. And Jesus has, does repeat this throughout his ministry. There's times he says that the harvest is ripe. And this is a spiritual harvest. These are souls that are seeking God. They're hungry for God. They have questions, right? And they need those questions answered. Uh, so that is the harvest, the spiritual harvest, the souls that are desiring or at least fertile and open to the things of God. But the laborers are few. And back then, and we can see the same thing today, there was few that were guiding them. So 70, there could have been um, hundreds, there literally could have been thousands of committed followers that followed Jesus Christ. And we see in the book of Acts, there was men, there was women, uh, they went all places of the world. Thomas went all the way to India. Uh, powerful stuff. And I, I always say this, or I say this at times, imagine if every Christian in the world, every Christian born again of the Spirit, used their gifts even in some small way. And I think the, the problem sometimes in American Christianity is where we, we look at the big ministries, big numbers, big names. These guys are untouchable. And that's actually wrong. Because if you look at the Christian statistics, it's a lot of small works collectively in the United States that does the most for the kingdom of heaven. Again, it's not a competition, but you got, you got to get out of your mind small versus big. Okay, That doesn't factor out in God's economy. So we're to be laborers, certainly not spectators. And even if enough don't do it, God will do it himself. I keep in touch with a lot of missionaries and I hear... I mean, we have missionaries that are in ISIS territory, Afghanistan, parts of Africa. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. And the reports that I hear that even some are waking up after having dreams of Jesus because, you know, their country, whether it's Iran or whether it's they're blocking even Christian radio, the airwaves from getting in. But Christ is getting in through dreams and visions and they're telling others in the village and it's pretty, it's an amazing thing. However, God's desire is that every Christian would do their small part in uh, furthering the kingdom of heaven, right? When I got saved, my wife and I, we, we thought, well, what is our spiritual purpose? What does God want us to do? Right? We want to be a, a part of God's plan, right? To, he's the one who, who saved the souls, but we, for, he, he could use angels. He could use many much more qualified than me, but he chooses to use human beings, which is it's a beautiful thing. Verse 3, continuing on, he says, Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound very attractive, but let's break that down. Uh, Carry neither money bag, sack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Two, the nuts and bolts, or the logistics of being sent. Um, Basically, what does this look like? How does this work? And three, uh, verse three, he says, to be lambs. So we're supposed to win the world to salvation with love and gentleness and meekness. Um, you know, in 2022 in the Northeast, it can be a little difficult, can it? Uh, but we do know that even Christians are, again, in hostile territory uh, overseas. They truly are lambs among wolves. And the wolves would be the power brokers of the world, right? The ones who pretty much control everything. I listen to a lot of powerful people. I'm just curious to what they say. 
Uh, they have these discussions at the World Economic Forum. I mean, these are the globalist oligarchs. Sadly enough, I have to say, who uh, are so powerful, they have so much dark money that they even control a lot of the politicians and they willingly want to be controlled in our country and many other countries. But I listen to their conversations. I like to understand people and they speak as if they're God. Like, I don't know, and you have a billion dollars in your bank, that makes you special, I suppose, I don't know. But it must go to their heads with all that power. So these are the wolves, these are the power brokers of the world. I never hear them say anything good about God or Jesus Christ or something other than their visions and their power. And so we are to go out as lambs among wolves. Now, uh, there have been times, and it's a major error, where maybe the church has become powerful in some areas and they be go out as wolves among wolves, right? They take the same tactics of the world with the militaries and their power and their wealth and all that kind of stuff. And that's not what Jesus said. He said to go out as lambs among wolves, right? Verse 3. Well, going back to verse 3, I look at that as sort of a spiritual, a mental, psychological understanding. Verse 4 is physical, right? Verse 4, carry neither money bag, sack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. Basically, um, God's going to provide. He's telling his, his 70, go swift, go light. Get to your destination. Do what I've called you to do. Eventually, I'm going to be into those cities. Uh, but, you know, you're my ambassadors, so to speak. And the Bible speaks about even believers today as we are ambassadors uh, to Christ. We represent a kingdom that's not this kingdom that we actually live in, the physical world. He says, greet no one along the road. <laughs> okay, so just like last time, somebody actually came up to me uh, after service last time, before service today, and says, you know, I like that you study the culture because sometimes Jesus says things and you know, I, I have this impression of Jesus and it seems sort of curt. It seems sort of flippant or, you know, something like that. Uh, it, it's not like Jesus is saying, hey, when you go along the road, if somebody says, hey, how you doing? Just say, can't talk to you. <laughs> I'm on a mission. You know, understanding the culture back then and actually in many countries today that are a little slower than the United States. I mean, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing because I think we're too fast in this culture. Um, these Middle Eastern cultures would be, they would meet each other a certain part of the day when they weren't harvesting or whatever, and they would just have these verbose, lengthy discussions about trivial things. And that's what he meant, right? If the person, if he was on the road and he saw a person and they said, hey, tell me about Jesus, well, of course they would talk to him, right? But this idea of this, you know, you're not selling vacuum cleaners. You know, when you go from village to village, you're not selling vacuum cleaners. You're bringing the kingdom of heaven to a lost and dying world, a hopeless world. So um, it is very important that you understand your mission, that you don't get distracted, right? And can we get distracted today? Certainly American culture, electronics, and oh, there's always something dinging or ringing or bleeping or oh my goodness. Uh, so we can be very distracted even today. But I would ask, what are our conversations largely focused on, right? From day to day, what do we talk about? You know, when we interact with people, uh, what do we talk about? What do we bring up? Are we ambassadors? Right? And listen, sometimes people don't want to hear it. Sometimes it's inappropriate. But, you know, the main desire is that every human being I meet, you know, my desire, and even if there's not a conversation that comes up, is to pray for their salvation, 
Uh, so this is very important. Verse 5, continuing on, he says, But whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. Hmm, interesting. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So, three is the etiquette, right? The spiritual etiquette of receiving hospitality. In verse 5 and 6, I call that sort of the the peace boomerang, right? You, You send peace out. If there's somebody who's hungry for the things of God, or at least open, they're receptive. You send the peace out, the peace will rest on that home. If they're hostile, if they're ignorant, if they're whatever, the, your peace will come back to you. And this is an interesting thing. Um, it's almost like peace is a physical thing, but it's really not. It's the peace of God. It's a spiritual thing. Remember, they are bringing the message of salvation to all of these villages. And what comes with them is peace, the peace of God that can be given as a, as a, a blessing, right? Uh, also, you see the healing of the sick, which we'll get to. So it's pretty neat. Verse 7, he says that the laborer is worthy of their wages. Don't go from house to house. In other words, enjoy the blessings from the hospitality. You know, some are, you know, and, and we do this, right? If you're, you're, you're a conscientious person and you go somewhere and somebody does something for you, you know, you want to know how you can repay them. You know, you don't want to be sort of a taker. Um, but Jesus is saying, you know, you guys are working together. The person who puts you up is also doing God's will, right? Because they're putting you up. You know, they're feeding you. You're able to rest and to be housed there. So, you know, that house becomes a blessing to the kingdom of God. And maybe there's, they don't get the, the, the credits. They don't get the acclaim. Nobody knows their name. But they're still doing a great work. So the person who's actually going out to do these things is furthering the kingdom of heaven, but so is the person with whom, ha- whom their house, they st- stay at their house. So it's pretty neat stuff. Um, you know, enjoy the hospitality. <laughs> enjoy the comfort. I-, I have to laugh because I guess with our cable channel, sometimes, you know, we're flipping through or whatever, and we see some of these Christian channels and you know, some of these preachers really take this to an extreme. Right? Um, I bring up Copeland, who's got a hanger full of, of jets, and he says, I got to be comfortable, right? I'm watching one pastor, and, you know, I guess people are giving him a hard time about his fancy lifestyle, and he goes, well, you know, I'm a preacher. The pastor doesn't want me to ride a bicycle. And I'm thinking in Africa and India and a lot of these countries where it's rough terrain, the missionaries and the pastors ride bicycles, but you're too good for a bicycle. You can't be on a plane with other people or a bus or public transportation. But So I think they, you, know, you wonder why people are turned off by especially commercial Christianity, and that's the reason. So there's a big difference between the simple things and the complex things that we see today in, in our culture. Verse 9, healing the sick. Again, the miracles went with God's Word. This is very important. The miracles went with God's Word. And sometimes they 
uh, there was a spiritual way of reinforcing that these guys are the real deal. In Acts 19, right, the church was starting uh, this new, you know, Jesus had ascended into heaven, so now it was delegated to those that he had designated to continue, I suppose you could say, the organization or the logistics of it, of the church. And in Acts 19, it said there were unusual miracles. Unusual. I mean, that's not common. And we probably don't see a lot of those type of miracles today. But, you know, this was a faith that was trying to be crushed by the Roman government and the religious establishment. And many, if you read the book of Acts in another chapter, it talks about some upstart faiths that were crushed by the Roman government and the religious establishment. Well, this was the truth. This was the way to salvation. So the Lord had the the humans, like the people going and doing this, but he also did these miracles to accompany it. Now, this is important because Jesus tells his followers later, he talks about the end times, which I believe we're somewhat uh, tangentially in or a part of, uh, is that he said not to rely on these false signs and wonders. Well, how do you know the difference? Right? Moses went to uh, Pharaoh, and Pharaoh, Moses did a miracle, and Pharaoh's magicians did miracles. Well, they looked like similar miracles. Well, what was the difference? The magicians did it to do it. They didn't have any uh, accompaniment to it, but Moses was bringing a message of God and also the office of leading his people out of Egypt. So um, miracles by themselves, be careful of. And Jesus warns us of this, right? There are some uh, places that you go to and they call them churches and you walk in and it's like a three-ring circus. And I've been, as a new believer, I'm, even as a new believer, I'm, I'm sitting and I'm like, I want, in my mind, I'm having this battle. I'm saying, I want to be respectful, but this is, I'm not learning anything. This is bizarre. And people are running back and forth and you know, waving their hands and people are falling. I've, I've, I remember that one church. Um, I'm like, I'm definitely, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to be respectful, but when I leave, I'm not coming back here. So, so there was no accompaniment of God's Word, of the message of salvation. It was just all, I guess, signs and wonders. But the Bible tells us in the end times, there will be lying signs and wonders, and you have to know the difference. So Christ was bringing miracles of God, but He was also bringing the message of salvation, and the truth of God's Word. That is so important that we know God's Word. Okay? Okay, continuing on, verse 10, he says, But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, The very dust of your city which clings to us we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. So four is dealing with rejection. So let, they, let them know they missed an opportunity to receive God, right? God is love. Love also tells somebody when they're making a tragic mistake. And sometimes love, tough love, right? Sometimes we exercise this as Christians to one another. You ever get that... that um, conviction to say something to somebody and you, you know it's not going to be received well but you feel delinquent spiritually if you don't say it or you're the person receiving it comes out of the blue and you, now you wrestle with being offended or just listen to what they say and try to understand the content and the love behind what they're saying so you know 
he, they had to be told that God was in their midst and they, they pushed him out. So this metaphor of symbolism, it was literal, but they, you know, and, and in, in some portions of scripture, their sandals, they would, you know, click the, uh, the dirt, the dust off their sandals and keep going. So it was a powerful symbol that basically said, we're leaving this city and we're not taking anything from the city that defiles, that distracts, or that brings us backwards. Remember in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they, they were coming out of the city, and the, the wife kept looking back longingly, and she unfortunately was judged for it. She could not leave that city. Her heart was with that decadent city. So he's saying, brush off the, you know, the sandals, the clothes, and, and move on. Now, what Jesus says is, it would actually be more tolerable for Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Uh, in the day of judgment than for these cities, first century cities that rejected Christ. Why? Because much more incredible things was taking place in those first century cities. So if you compare the two, maybe you know, things might have been different in Sodom had Jesus been there at that time. We don't know. But what he's saying, and there's this principle of that we're accountable for the amount of spiritual light we receive. Right? So for me personally, I can't you know, run out of here, do some crazy stuff, say I'm walking away from the Lord, leave, lead a heathen's lifestyle, and I die, I go to heaven, and the Lord's like, what are you doing? What did you do? And I'd be like, oh, I just, I don't know, I just didn't know. The Lord will say, you read the entire Bible, Joe, from Genesis to Revelation, don't tell me you didn't know what you were doing. So we are accountable for the spiritual light that we receive. Okay, so that's why those first century cities had a greater onus, a greater responsibility to at least listen and consider the things that are being said. And even today, um, and I talk to people all the time, I know several men and women in my life as a young man talk to me about the Lord. I didn't come around right away. It took a while. But I had to investigate the claims that they were saying about who is God who is Jesus, right? And then we talk about science and we talk about a whole bunch of other things and the information is there, okay? So I love science. I still remember my days at Rutgers. I still have some of my textbooks and it was so cool. You know, in our young adults group, like there was a lot of science majors, really neat, engineering, nurses, um, pre-med and stuff. I had had a really great time. Uh, But there was one particular gentleman who we were talking and it was so cool. He was, oh boy, it really brings me back. He was talking about quantum chemistry. <laughs> it's pretty neat stuff. I like quantum chemistry. I like organic chemistry. I'm one of those weird people that likes that stuff. But I won't bore you with the whole subject matter. Uh, he did say, you know, Pastor Joe, in my 100 and 200 college classes, right, beginner and intermediate, he said, oh yeah, there was a lot of atheism, espoused Darwinism. He goes, but when I went further into my science degree and I was in my 300 and 400 classes, now we're talking about advanced. He goes, I found something interesting. By, by admission, he might have been sort of leaning agnostic. He said, all of my professors were professors, men and women of faith. He goes, and they went to church and he goes, he scratched his head. I said, I know what the answer is to that. He goes, what? I said, because as you go deeper into science, 
and you look at all the nuts and bolts and, and the particulars, the elements and the atomic structure and the laws of thermodynamics and electromagnetism, what you find out is it is so doggone complex that you can't say it just happened through billions of mutations. And again, I say this a lot, look it up. Some 30 years, maybe 40 after Darwin died, simplicity, the gooey cell, human cell, electron microscope was invented. Then they start looking at cells under the electron microscope and like, wow, this thing is really complex. Should have ended Darwinism right there, but it didn't, unfortunately. And unfortunately, some churches have felt bullied into believing some of this stuff. And it's just not, it's not accurate. You're believing a lie. Um, so... Verse 13, continuing on, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented a great while ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be thrust down to Hades. He who hears you, hears me. He's telling his followers this. He who hears you, hears me. You are my messengers. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. God the Father. Okay? So five is the consequences of rejection. And again, he's... You know, some of these cities like Damascus in Syria, and it's in the news a lot, um, fascinating city, thousands of years old, uh, still retains a lot of its originality, a lot of its archaeology. Really neat, really neat city. Still around. Some of these other cities in the first century, which are not as old, that rejected Christ, rejected the message of salvation, have faded into oblivion. Um, you can see some stones and some maybe pieces of columns, but it wasn't that long that they were just... You know, it's almost like saying... If the Bible said, oh, New York City in, I don't know, two years is going to be a wasteland and uninhabited. I mean, I've been to Manhattan. It's so hustle and bustle. You know, you would say, that's not possible. And then you see it happen. You say, wow. And this is what it's sort of commensurate to. Uh, Jesus spoke these, these judgments on the cities that, re- that refused, that were antagonistic, that were hostile to the things of God. And many of them faded into oblivion, but... Uh, Damascus is still around and many of these other ancient cities are still around. So it's really interesting to look at. Verse 14, what we see here is that we know that the Father sent the Son. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, right? God the Father so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. So you have this, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It isn't like the son drew the short straw and said, all right, you've got to go to the cross and be crucified. He did it for the joy that was set before him. He did it because he was going to save our souls, right? So, but the father sends the son to die for our sins. We receive that. We believe. We trust in that propitiation and we have eternal life. Jesus said, he who receives me receives him who sent me. I will say this. You can't be you can't reject Christ and still say, I'm okay with God. It doesn't work like that. It's very clear here. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, 
on a regular basis, um, I talk to people and I give them my card because I want to just, you know, listen to the message, go through Luke, and, and I get some feedback, right? We, are, we have a large live stream audience. And uh, this is very important because some people, they hear judgment and they're tweaked. It bothers them. Look at it from a different angle. See, sin separates us from God. Romans 5.12 uh, t- tells us that. Because of the human race's you know, uh, spiritual sickness, disease of sin, as a human race in general, it's separated from its creator. What God did was he offered a pardon through his son. So if you reject that pardon, you're rejecting the pardon. Right? Who would do that today in a court or uh, with, a, with a presidential pardon? Who would say, no, I don't want that pardon. I want to stay in jail and I want to go through the death penalty. You'd have to be crazy to do that. John 3.17 says, for God, this is very important. It comes right after 3.16. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him, through Jesus, the world, the whole world would be saved. 1 Timothy 2, which I quote a lot, is that God desires all to be saved. So he desires, even though the human race messed it up and caused the separation, God is saying, I want to repair it. And I'm not going to trample over your free will, but you, you have to accept the pardon. Amen? So the pardon is out there. It's offered. You just have to, if you're an agnostic or an atheist, you just have to do the research. You'll find it. You'll find it. Verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Could you imagine that conversation? I like to always think, oh, I wonder what it would be like to be there. And, you know, they start, they're coming in. The 70 are coming in, two by two. And now there's 20, now there's 30. And they're just all talking. And Jesus is there. And Jesus, you wouldn't believe it. A guy had a demon and we we used your name. and, And the demon left. So there was an excitement. There's a joy there. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know how quickly lightning is? Right? It's a millisecond. Phew, Satan's gone. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spiritual part, or let me scratch that, the, the demonic entity and how they're subject to them. Don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. How exciting. How many religions on the earth tell their followers, you know, you can't know. And you're a 15-year-old and you're part of this religion. And you're all the way up to 85 and so many decades go past and you, you go to the same spiritual leader and they say, you just can't know. Sorry. When your heart starts, stops beating, you'll figure it out. But try to do all these things and maybe it'll be better for you. What we're told is that our names are written in heaven. We stop and think about that for a minute. I know it's going to be a busy week. My week, my Monday is going to be busy. My Tuesday. Sometimes you just have to... <sighs> Pause is uncomfortable, even for me up here. <laughs> but we have to stop and say, my name is written in heaven. Jesus promises us eternal life. Man, that's a beautiful thing. Do we, do, sometimes we can take that as, for granted as, as Christians, can't we? But it's an incredible fact that's not just for them, but it's for us too. So, six is the joy of serving God. The joy of serving God. 
And folks, you know, when we serve the Lord, sometimes, and it, it happens, people will serve God and it almost becomes a routine and then they can get grumpy. And I just say, listen, if you are having a rough time and you just need to be with the Lord, maybe you should just take a break from serving if you're just kind of grumpy and miserable about serving the Lord. Uh, years ago, there was somebody in the church and he would always make this face and he just would complain and, and just like, dude, you're... It's like, just, why don't you just take a break? You know what I'm saying? If we're serving the Lord, we should be doing it with joy. Amen? And the, the joy is that you're able to convince somebody not to buy a better vacuum cleaner, not to try a different workout schedule, but you're able to convince them to seek the things of God and to be assured of their, their salvation. That's exciting. That's head and shoulders above anything we do day to day in our temporal routines in this life. So that's exciting. And I, I, I also say that I, I love this picture of the 70. Again, we don't know any of their names, but today there's too much emphasis on titles. Like I don't wear a name tag. Uh, Pastor Joe, I just greet people outside. Or better yet, Senior Pastor Joe. You know, I'm more special than... Yeah, stop it. I'm Brother Joe, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like you. I just have a different spiritual gift. And I think that too much titles in some of these religions, they're, they're so, they're untouchable. They live in gated mansions and, you know, they, they don't even really, they come out once in a while to wave to the people and they're just so insulated from human contact. And you know what that leads to? That leads to spectatorship. Well, they got it under control. They're, they're, they're good. I don't have to do anything. Not true. Put the spectatorship on the side and go back to, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's especially for those, and there's a lot of prideful people, arrogant people, they think, you know, God needs them, which is a ridiculous attitude. And then there are those on the other end who are always down on themselves. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now that's for everyone. And it's all things. You know, don't, don't accept me or some things. No, read it again. <laughs> so God wants us to be a part of something that's far greater than ourselves. Amen? Verse 18, I saw, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And this is probably that initial period. We don't actually see exactly when it happens in Genesis, but we know it does happen. Lucifer uh, tries to be equal with God and take his position, and um, it doesn't work out really well for him. So there is this moment where the, all the benefits he enjoyed in close fellowship with God all the time, that ends. So he's, you know, there's this, this separation that just keeps continuing, continuing until um, he's in the lake of fire, uh, which hasn't happened yet, but it's sort of, we're in the intermediate stage right now. But what Jesus wanted them to know was that the big picture is at the end of all this atomic creation, when this is all over, the only thing that's going to matter is God and souls. And that's what we need to focus on. Anything else can be a distraction. And I just want to say this, if I wasn't clear, if you're watching or you're here and you uh, would like to know that you're saved, you can. You can. That's why we do altar calls. You know, give people a, a chance to express 
their belief in Christ. And, you know, we kind of say repeat after me and kind of help you with the words, but it's really a, an expression of your heart. This church doesn't save you. Nobody here saves you. Christ saves you. We're just here to show you the way. But it's all, it's all great stuff. So it's, you know, when you talk about joy, right, Pastor Paul knows uh, when somebody comes up, <laughs> right, maybe it's, it's a communion Sunday and somebody comes up and they receive Jesus, I get flustered. <laughs> I'm not a person that gets flustered easy, right? But when I see somebody receive Jesus, I, I kind of come back up and I'm, I'm ready to say, let's all stand for worship. And he's like, <clears throat> he's making noises. It's communion Sunday. <laughs> I kind of forget everything. But because it's, it's joy that, that we, I, we, can be a part of somebody coming forward, right, to receive Christ. That's exciting. And it's, you can't even contain it. Okay, last part. There's always a caveat with Pastor Joe. Verse 19, to trample on serpents and scorpions. <laughs> I hear a few comments. <laughs> so, there, <laughs> so there are some places, and I don't get it, because... The point that Christ was making was that, you know, the Apostle Paul in Acts ends up getting bit by a poisonous viper. And he, he takes this, he's obviously bit, it's pierced him. Uh, and it doesn't do anything to him because God has this plan for him. There's actually an expression that I've heard, and I forget where it came from. It said, you're actually immortal until the time that God stops using you. You figured that one out. <laughs> but the point is that they would go through uh, situations where a snake or a scorpion, scorpion or something would happen to them, but God just healed them so they could continue to deliver the, His work. Now, the Apostle Paul eventually did die. He was killed by the Roman government. He was beheaded. Um, you know, in this dispensation, nobody lives forever in the flesh. Okay? So, there are churches that they and I don't know. I never thought becoming a pastor. Maybe I should get a really big tank. I love animals. I love snakes and all kinds of bats and stuff. But I never thought to get a really big tank and put it up here at the stage and put poisonous snakes in it. And then Sunday morning, I grab the snake and I'm dancing with the snake. And I, you, you're never going to see me do that. If if I do do that, please send me for an evaluation. Okay. <laughs> Because anything's possible, right? But, <laughs> but I, I, you know, it's, I read the article about the guy, the snake handlers. He gets bit by the poisonous snake. The pastor, he dies. Somebody else comes up, takes his place. He gets bit, he dies. It's like, it's not working for you guys, you know what I'm saying? Get rid of the tank and put the snake back out in the wild. So this is where um, cults come in. This is where strange doctrine comes in, where someone will take a small portion of Scripture, take it out of context, and make it say what they want to say. I really felt compelled to share that with you. And it happens with other things as well. Last few verses. Verse 21, In that hour Jesus rejoiced. So the disciples are rejoicing. The 70 are rejoicing. Whatever you want to call them. Followers, the ambassadors. In that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, these mysteries of the kingdom of heaven from the wise and the prudent, the Roman government, the uber-educated, the uh, religious hierarchy, and revealed them to babes, the poor, the uneducated, the simple folk, right? Even so, Father, 
for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son. Right? We talk about revelation in the Scripture, revealed truths, mysteries, and the one whom... Uh, the one to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And He turned to His disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Let me address that part first, but seven out of seven is who does God use? So let me address that last part. Because He's speaking about two groups here. He's speaking about one group who didn't see who were, again, Roman government, uber-educated, the proud, the arrogant, religious hierarchy. They didn't see. But also, the prophets and the kings didn't see. So this group is a problem because they're arrogant, they're prideful, they're controlling, right? This group, just the prophets, it just wasn't their time. So Isaiah speaks about uh, the suffering servant, uh, Psalm speaks about it, right? We read this in the Psalms and Isaiah. Jeremiah speaks about the new covenant. They just get it, didn't get to see it because of where they were in linear time. Right? So they spoke it. They went to their grave. Hundreds of years later, it comes to fruition through Christ. So they didn't see it, not because they were not good like that group. They just didn't see it because it wasn't the proper timing. So it's very important that I make that dichotomy. Who does God use? Well, who does God use? He uses you. He can use me. Right? If you ever had a question about, can God use me? Well, I just answered it, and we didn't even have the Q&A yet. So, I mean, we have a lot of national discussions about fairness and justice and all this kind of stuff, but you know, you find that these groups that push this stuff, when they admittedly have no God in their life, what do you see? A year, two years, five years, you see corruption. You see there all that pile of money, millions. Of, it's weird. It's a weird thing. When you look at a bank account and you're a CEO and all of a sudden you've never had that much money, you've got all these zeros in that account, and you can take some for this and take some for that, and they're buying themselves mansions and big cars and stuff, and you say, well, where'd the money go to the people who were trying to help? Oh, um, we bought them some sandwiches, one, one, one outreach. No, that's not where the money was supposed to go. We're actually seeing that in real time today. But when it comes to the things of God, God does it perfectly. And He uses people who aren't arrogant and prideful. He uses people that say, you know what, Lord, I'm on the precipice of saying, don't use me because I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm probably going to be useless and drag you down. And what he does is he goes, okay, you got a, you got a pretty good attitude. Um, I'm going to empower you with my Holy Spirit. See, if we're filled with ourselves to the, to the top, there's nothing else that can fill us. So if God's trying to fill us with the Holy Spirit, but we're filled with ourselves, our greatness, right? I got, you know, Lord, I have 100,000 followers on Instagram. I bet you didn't know that. People, they really like me. I'd be very useful. That's a problem, right? It's the average person. Well, I don't have any money. I'm disabled, I'm, I'm older, great, God can still use you. I, I have to laugh with food for the soul. You guys go to Trenton, you go on Friday nights, the third, and the, I call them, I have a name for them. I call them my super seniors. They're just like super. Like, where do, the, where do they get the energy, the, the, the endurance, and 
because they just have such a love for people that they want to help. And they organize it, and it's amazing what they do. I just want to thank you guys because you just do a phenomenal job. I don't have any plans of replacing you, you know? Just keep doing what you're doing. So, uh, um, so this, is, this is the exciting thing, and Jesus rejoices. Jesus knows that he's got to go to the cross soon. And in the last chapter, right, the A-team, the 12, he had to redirect them. They messed up. They couldn't cast out the demon. And I say the 18 facetiously. Um, but this group of 70, unnamed, don't know who they are. They go out, they do this stuff, they come back. Jesus is rejoicing. He's rejoicing because they're doing a good job as unto the Lord. And he's rejoicing because he knows that the Father is empowering them and revealing the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And that must mean that their hearts are right. So this is pretty exciting stuff. The 70, here's the punchline. Today, and I talked about this in Christianity, American Christianity. Oh, let's go, let's go to hear a message. Maybe they'll say something funny. Maybe they'll say something I can ponder all week. But I always turn it around and say, the 70, right, represents you. It represents me. Right? Who, who in the famous world of Christianity will know our names? Probably nobody. But the Lord sees what you're doing. The Lord has already endowed you with spiritual gifts. The Lord wants to empower you. The Lord wants to fill you with your Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you. I have a lot of notes. The bottom line is, will you step up? Will you move from where you're at, to, for those that are spectating, and I don't say it in a negative way, to actually serving the Lord? Because if you're saying, wow, I, that could be me, you're hired. There's your qualifications. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.